So the, the text is printed in your bulletin as well, but we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15 this morning. And if you don't know uh, anything about the book of Genesis, this is the first book of the Bible, most likely written by Moses, accounts the creation story, uh, and really the patriarchs moving forward today. We're looking at Genesis 15, which many theologians would say is at the heart of the story of Abraham. This is God's covenant uh, with Abraham. So if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. As, as you're turning there, The main topic we're looking at today is how God deals with his people in doubt. So I want you to think about for a moment how doubt plays itself out in your life. Okay, where do you doubt most when it comes to -to day-to-day life? Maybe uh, you doubt in the goodness of God and that he actually cares about the little details of your life. Maybe you doubt that your life won't be as satisfying as you uh, really hope. Maybe you doubt that you'll never have enough money to live comfortably. Maybe you doubt God's faithfulness when a child walks away from the faith. If if you're like me, doubt plays a a role in all of our lives. And we're going to see today in in Genesis 15 how God deals with a man who we think is, we know is a patriarch of our faith from Genesis 15. We're going to see how God deals with Abram in his doubt. So if you would, open God's word and let's read this together. Anytime we're in the Old Testament, often when it's a narrative, we're going to read a big swath of scripture, which we are doing today. It's an entire chapter, so bear with me. Uh, Verses 1 through 21, all the way to the end of chapter 15. This is uh, God's word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. The sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go into your father in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, 
saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gagashites, the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, open your word this morning, uh, we pray that you would uh, be here with us. Spirit, we know that many things run through our mind even on a Sunday morning. And Father, we pray that we would be in tune with your word. Lord, that it would show us not only more of you, but more of ourselves and our weakness and our need for Jesus. Father, open our hearts and our minds this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So prior to going to seminary, I think I may have mentioned this a couple times, uh, but I photographed weddings as my primary vocation for a lot of my uh, undergrad and my master's time at NMSU. Uh, really a wonderful thing. I shot over 100 weddings. I mean, I mostly was here in El Paso, actually. And I loved doing it. It was like, you know, for most people, it's, it's one of the one of the best days of their life, right? So we're celebrating, and I actually really loved it. And it's, it's interesting. I got to hear story after story of how these uh, couples got together and how they got engaged and how they met and all the wedding plans that were going on. And I want to tell you one thing, okay? So whenever I had a couple that was, had been dating for five years or more, I'm just, just giving you an estimate. This is the running narrative I heard from the woman, Okay? We had been dating for five years, and he finally proposed to me. He finally got down on one knee to give me a ring, <laughs> right? So and it, it, it wasn't just one time. This was like over and over and over again that I heard this. It was almost as if the women like doubted the love of the, of the soon-to-be husband because they had not, he had not proposed yet. They were saying, I doubted that you even loved me, right? And if you think about that, we, we all have doubts in our lives. Like I tried to get you to think about a second ago, that we doubt the circumstances will pan out that we're facing, that we doubt whether the company we work for will be in business next year, whether our friends will live up to their end of the friendship. We all have doubts. And this doesn't stop in our relationship with the Lord, right? We're tempted often to doubt the promises of God. And in our text today, we see that Abram, he has no heir. He has no son. And Sarai, his, his wife, remains barren. And yet the Lord continues to tell him that the nations will be blessed through your seed. But for Abram, it doesn't make sense. His wife is barren, and they're in very late adulthood. If you don't know the story of Abram, they're probably in their 90s right now. So you're saying, how is this going to happen? So the question we're looking at today, and we have an outline in your bulletin if you want to open that. The question we're looking at today is how does God meet people in their doubts? And instead of telling you the answer right away and proving it from the text, we're actually going to look at the text and we're going to figure it out together. Okay, so the question is how does God meet his people in their doubts? Before we jump into Genesis chapter 15, it's important for us to understand where we are in the story of Abraham. Okay, while Genesis 15 is the heart of the Abrahamic story, many theologians would say, it has not started here. Okay, in Genesis chapter 12, we see that God has called Abram out of his home country with his wife Sarai. He promises, God promises this 
to Abram. He says this, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So we see that from the beginning, God has called Abram out of his country to go be a blessing to the world. And this calling of Abram is really foundational for our understanding in the Reformed circles of what we call covenant theology, right? That we see that this was the start of the people of Israel who we are engrafted into in, into the New Testament. So that starts in chapter 12 and in chapters 13 and 14, just prior to this, Abraham goes through trial after trial and shows himself obedient, that he's continuing to follow the Lord. But we get to Genesis chapter 15 today and he's starting to doubt. Okay, so look with me at verse 1 in uh, chapter 15. It says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So right off the bat, we hear God speaking to Abram much like the prophets received a revelation from God. He's speaking directly to Abram. And what is the message? I am your shield. When that idea of shield is used in the Old Testament, the verbiage he's using here, it's commonly used for the protector or the one who is protecting a person who has gone off in battle. That God is protecting a warrior in battle. So God is saying here to Abram, I am your protector no matter the circumstance. I know that Sarai is in her 90s and she's still barren. But Abram is doubting God. Will he hold true to his promise? And God's response is, yes, I will. In the first scene, we see that Abram asks two different times about his coming heir. In verse 2, it says, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. Verse 3, And Abram said, Behold, You have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So in that time, a a childless couple could adopt a a house hand in their uh, family to take uh, rule and reign over their estate if they were to pass away. Okay, they're saying, do I need to adopt somebody that's close to me? Does it need to happen a different way? Or will you really fulfill your promises through my bloodline like you have told me to do? So Abram is doubting whether or not God will continue to keep his promises to him. But how does God respond? We see two things. First, he repeats his promise to him. Verse 4 says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And secondly, he illustrates the same truth, pushing it further into his mind. And verse 5 says this, I brought him out outside and said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So he speaks the promises of God again and again to Abram. There is power in God's word. God speaks the same promises over and over and then illustrates them in another step just to tell him again, yes, I am trustworthy. I think it's, it's we should notice, right, that, that God doesn't condemn Abram for his doubt. No, he is patient. He's kind. He's willing to listen to Abram's doubts. And what is Abram's response to God repeating his promises. Verse 6, very famous verse. You may have heard this. 
And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. One of the foremost scholars of the book of Genesis is Bruce Walkie, and he says this about this verse. The Hebrew for believed is better translated trusted. Abraham considered God true, reliable, and trustworthy. So from the text, what is the correct response to God repeating his promises to us? Trust. He's saying, trust me. And I love I noticed right from the bat, I started, when, when I started talking to Chuck about coming to El Paso, I started listening to his sermons on podcasts. And I love that he ends almost every sermon with, will you trust him? My prayer is that you will. Right? And that's the call here. It's not to have no doubts or no fears. It's to trust God with those things. Where will you take your doubts? Where will you take your fears? Will you take them away from God? Or you push towards God? Which one will you do? Abraham trusts God, in the, and this foundational first verse tells us this, and he believed the Lord, and it counted it to him as righteousness. Remember, we've been talking about this idea of merit and grace, right? I think you guys talked about it in Sunday school this morning even, right? Like the idea that simply by trusting in God, he was clothed in righteousness. He didn't have to be free from doubt. He didn't have to be free from worry. But he just needed to trust the Lord in those things. So how, how does God meet his people in their doubt? First, we see that God meets us in his word. He gives us his word over and over and over again. So when I was in seminary, my kids were really young. Emma had a, her third birthday, and we lived um, in an area where there's two malls pretty close to us, and I would go take them those little playgrounds in there, so I would take them off in there. And we would, there was Build-A-Bears in both of the malls. And we had never done this with our kids. Allison and I had done it. We're that corny couple that goes and does that without kids. So we did that before we had kids. But at this time, we had never taken the kids to do this. Okay, they were really young, so three and two. And so for Emma's birthday, we promised her that we would take her and her cousins to, to Build-A-Bear for her birthday. On the day, it's actually ironic, I preached Genesis 15 to a... Uh, this is not the same sermon, but a similar one on the same day that her third birthday was. This is where this came about. And so we, we told her about three weeks before we were going to take her to Build-A-Bear. Okay? Every day from the time I told her, she would come up to me and say, Daddy, are we going to go to Build-A-Bear on my birthday? Like, I would come home from work or school, and it was not like, hi, Daddy. It's like, Daddy, are we going to Build-A-Bear on my birthday? And it was over and over and over again. And you know how I would respond to her? I would get down on one knee, and I would say, in my good days, right? <laughs> I would say, yes, Emma, I promise. I promise we're going to go to Build-A-Bear on your birthday. And the next, thing would, the next day would come, and the same thing would happen over and over and over again. And just like in our passage, right, that, that Emma needed to hear me say, yes, honey, I promise we will go. That is what Abram needed in this text and what we often need. In the same way, Abram needed to hear God say, yes, I will bless, bless the nations through you, through your own son. Even though the error of your line seems impossible, Trust me. God doesn't get angry. Think of him as getting down on a knee and looking at him in the eye and say, yes, I promise. So I think for us in our daily lives, we often need to remember that, that God 
has promised to care for us. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. You know, there's a lot of like theologians out there that, that believe that God, or a lot of religions even, that believe that God has kind of set uh, the world up like a time clock. Like he set it and it's just going out there. And he has no relationship to us. So, but that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is actually one who reveals himself to us in his word. But not only that, he is active in this world. So the first thing we see, how does God meet his people in their doubt? He meets us in his word. Okay, secondly, let's look at the next section. This is uh, Genesis 15, verses 7 through 21. So in verses 1 through 6, Abram was doubting what? That he would have a son, right? That was the main doubt. But in verses 7 through 21, we actually see the doubt shifts to now uh, doubting that he will get the land that God has promised to his people. So in verse 7, it says this. uh, Read along with me. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of Chaldeans to give this land, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Again, Abram is asking how he will know that God will keep his promises. And the narrative does not show it in the language that it's using that, that his Abram's faith that he called his righteousness in verse 6 is somehow opposed to the complaints to the Lord or him doubting the Lord. They're never in opposition. Okay, because he's actually saying that to, to, to desire to know God uh, further, he's actually taking God's promises very seriously. Okay, so God responds by telling Abram to prepare a covenant ceremony. This would have been uh, very normal in their time and age, but in verses 9 through 11, we'll read it again. It says this. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the bird in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Okay, so we generally don't use the word of covenant uh, in our normal life. Maybe the time you hear it as a Christian would be in a covenant uh, marriage. Maybe that's the only time we really use this. But we typically use a language of agreements, right? Like our cell phone agreement or we, we go in and sign the papers on a new mortgage or a car uh, that we buy. Well, it's an agreement with someone. So we need to uh, uh, define what a covenant is in biblical terms, okay? Tim Keller explains a covenant uh, in this way. He says, it's a stunning blend of both law and love. It is a relationship much more intimate and loving than a mere legal contract, yet one more enduring and binding than personal affection alone could make. A covenant is the solemn, permanent, whole self-giving of two parties to each other. Okay, so that's why when we think about a marriage, often in the Christian circles, that's like the only thing we apply it to, right? Because it is that. This is what we believe it to be, a solemn, permanent, whole self-giving of two parties to each other. But often outside of marriage, we don't think about it that way. But we need to understand today, this is the relationship that God has with his people. There are two parties that are coming together in a very intimate and lasting relationship. So in this text, we see that God is entering into a covenant of grace with Abram. The same covenant of grace that is fulfilled in Jesus in the new covenant, right? Verse 12 says this, as they're entering into the covenant. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Okay, so Abram has 
set up the covenant ceremony, and it's starting. Abram falls into a deep sleep. The first time I read this, and I, I was really caught off guard, right? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't Abram be awake to participate in a covenant ceremony? Have you ever seen a marriage where the husband is sleeping? Or the, oh, we should probably say that the wife is sleeping. Like, no, right? Both parties are awake. So Abram's sleeping. What's going on? In the covenant of this story, we see that Abram is actually the passive participant in the covenant. That while Abram, he had set the stage for the covenant ceremony, it is God who is liable to keep it. And God is personified in this covenant through the smoking fire pot. Let's read the next text. In verse 17, it says this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So this is what one theologian says. In a normal covenant, both parties would pass between the dismembered animals to invoke a like fate on themselves should they break their pledge. They are saying, if I break this covenant, I am granting my own death. Here, however, Abram's part is only to set the scene and guard it from violation. In this covenant, we see that God is the only participant in the covenant that passes through the pieces. And thus, God is invoking a curse upon himself if he does not keep the covenant. How beautiful is that? That the covenant is based on God's promises alone. That God bears the full weight of the covenant. And by his actions, God promises faithfulness to his people or he promises death to himself. That's what he's saying. So secondly, how does God meet his people in their doubt? He, God meets us in his actions, in his actions. And I think it's a, a good time for us to think about how remembering God's actions in the past and his faithfulness can actually strengthen our faith. Okay, so I'm going to take us a little bit later in biblical history in Joshua 4. Uh, Abram's uh, heirs have multiplied, right? And the people are headed into the promised land. And the Lord opens the waters of the Jordan River for the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence is to pass through. And when they pass through, the Lord commands Joshua to set 12 stones of remembrance at that spot. He says this, so when, they ask, so when their children ask, what are these stones? The people, will, they will, the people will remind their children of the Lord's faithful actions. So oftentimes in our life, we need these stones of remembrance. This can, Genesis 15 can be that for us, right? We can look back to biblical accounts of God's faithfulness. We can look to scripture to see how the Lord has fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy in the scriptures, and that can strengthen our faith as stones of remembrance, right? In the same time, I, 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 I encourage you today to look back on your own life and, and think about those stones of remembrance, those places, those times in life where God has shown himself faithful. I'm going to give you an example of mine. We were trying to decide whether or not to go to seminary in 2015, we owned a house in Las Cruces, and the housing market was not great. We'd only been in the house for two years, so we didn't have tons of equity in it. It's our first house that we had bought as a married couple. This was one of the big hurdles for going to seminary for us. 
a friend of a friend texted me out of the blue one day and said, hey, I, I heard you might be moving. Can I come look at your house? I'm like, yeah. Well, it's not clean at all, but you can come. Look. And they came that night. They walked through the house and they literally said, we'll take it. How much do you want for it? We got full market value plus some, which got us enough money to get through the first six months of seminary. And when I was crying my eyes out through Greek 1 and 2, I remembered the stone of remembrance. God sold my house and called me to this place that was feeling very awful at the time. But I looked back and I saw God called me here. He has been faithful. Look, this is a stone of remembrance. So many of us will have lots of these things in our life that we can look back and see how God has worked over time. We can see that God's actions, they meet our doubts time and time again. And they reassure us, reassure us of his faithfulness to us. This last section, we're going to move off of Genesis. And I want us to, I'm going to give you the answer right, right away for this one, right? How does God meet his people in their doubts? He ultimately meets his people's doubts in Jesus, his son. I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to imagine with me that we're living in 1851, where horseback is a common way of traveling from town to town. And if you're lucky, you have a coach that is pulled by horses so your family can travel together, okay? The train is a new invention at this time, but not many people can even afford to get on the train. One day you get a call from your boss telling you that he is promising to give you a new horse at the end of the year if you make certain numbers in your job. Okay? So you work hard all year long and you hit the goal that your boss wanted you to and you're trying to show him that you really deserve this new horse. The end of the year, December comes and your boss pulls up. This is 1851 in a 2022 Ford Mustang. Okay, has the boss fulfilled his end of the agreement? What would you say? Yes, right? The, the Mustang is going to get you from place to place. You know, there's some break in the illustration because I don't know if there's like paved roads and that kind of stuff. I don't know how comfortable that would be. But I, 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 want, I want you to think about this. Going back to our scripture, if we think about the grand narrative of the Bible, we see that God had promised Abram a son an earthly son who would begin the line of people who would bless the world. In Genesis 21, this promise was fulfilled. Isaac was born, but that wasn't the end of the promise. It wasn't just a horse, right? Through Abram, the world is ultimately blessed through his seed, through his offspring, but it's not Isaac. God promised a son to bless the world, but he fulfilled this promise ultimately in Jesus. If you hear this, this language in covenant theology that the old covenant is promises, the new covenant is fulfillment, all under one covenant of grace. So from Genesis 3 forward, this covenant of grace has been established between God and humanity. It has, it has had different manifestations between Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then the fulfillment finally in Jesus so it is in Jesus, when Abram's promise was given in, in ch chapter 12, it was fulfilled in God's own son. God kept his promise by sending the fulfillment, not only of Isaac, but his own son, Jesus. So in the grand narrative of the Bible, God has dealt with his, the doubt of his people by sending his own son. Because in fact, the great nation of Israel did come through Abraham's seed, 
But the people of Israel, if you read the Old Testament, many of the, uh, there's a a cyclical um, narrative that goes through the prophets and the judges, everything. It's like the people will walk with the Lord for a little while. They run away. They get in trouble and they run back. That's what happens over and over and over again. We see that the Old Testament people of God, God's uh, chosen people through the line of Abraham, they failed time and time again. But God, he did not fail. He never failed. Because ultimately, God would bring the blessing through Jesus. If we fast forward to the New Testament, we see that that seed of Abraham was the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12 fully. Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this, Just as Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the, justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before him to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Genesis three twenty nine. a little bit later in that chapter. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So for all of us in the room, if you're a believer or you're not, know that this God of the Bible is one that fulfills his promises time and time again. Enough to not only send a miracle child to a woman in her 90s, but to send his own son, not coming in royalty, but coming to take the wrath for you and for me so that we could live with him. And through Jesus, this son that God sent, you can be restored each day. The ultimate promise of Abraham's story is fulfilled in Jesus. So how does God meet us in his doubt He meets us in Jesus, and the call for us is to trust him every step of the way. Let's pray together. Father, each day uh, we have our doubts. We live in a world that is tainted by sin, and we often fix our eyes upon the problem upon the worries that are around us rather than you. And Father, we pray that as we go from this place, that would not be the case. Lord, that you would change our hearts to be always fixed on you, to see these stones of remembrance, both in the scriptures and in our own lives, and how you have shown yourself faithful to us, God. What a beautiful thing it is that we expected an heir coming from Abraham, and we got that, but we got much more in Jesus. He was a Messiah that none of the people expected that he came not in royalty and riches, but in poverty, not to rule here, but to rule eternally and to save us from our sin. So father, we pray as we come to your table today, you remind us of those things, nourish your people here in the precious name of Jesus. We pray. Amen.